Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. Thanks for listening to Recode Replay. Here's an interview from the 2018 Code Media Conference. May 11th is one of the biggest news days of 2017. The New York Times has just broken a story that in the midst of an investigation by the FBI into the Trump campaign ties to Russia, President Trump asked his FBI director, James Comey, for a pledge of loyalty. My colleague, Mike Schmidt, breaks the story. Here's how it looked. Okay, pretty standard. Here's how it sounded. Hey. Hey. Sorry, so I got the folks here at Kinko's to let me use the phone. How did you do that? I told them I needed to call the office. <laughs> but the problem is I got my laptop on the other side of Kinko's here. I'm afraid some Russian spies are going to take it, so i got to keep my eyes on it. Michael Schmidt called us from the only landline he could find. So, Mike, what did you find? So Comey gets fired on Tuesday. I go in the office 7 a.m. on Wednesday morning. We're just trying to figure out what the heck happened and mm-hmm. start making some calls early. This guy says, well, there's this dinner. I said, what do you mean there's this dinner? He said, there's this dinner that Comey had at the White House with Trump. And I said, well, what was it? Well, I don't know everything about it. Well, it starts getting a little squirrely. I said, well, you got to tell me more. you got to tell me more. And Basically, throughout the rest of the day, what I figure out is that seven days after Trump was sworn in, Comey gets summoned to the White House by Trump for dinner, one-on-one dinner. No one's in the room, no aides, only servers. Trump turns to Comey and says, do I have your loyalty? Mm -hmm. And Comey says, you have my honesty. Okay, so so much is happening in a single minute, the opening minute of the daily Uh, on May 11th. We're experiencing this story as much more than just a headline. It's an actual story with plot and intrigue and characters. Right away we meet Mike Schmidt, this sort of surly, intrepid reporter. We meet Josh, the awkward offstage Kinko's employee who hands over the phone to our reporter. Uh, We meet President Trump, this sort of Don Corleone-esque figure who's demanding fidelity. And we meet James Comey, the tall, honorable, law and order man. Everything that is one-dimensional about this story becomes three-dimensional in audio. It dramatizes the scene, it exposes the journalistic process, and it humanizes the reporter. Michael Schmidt becomes much more than just a black byline beneath the headline. And the New York Times, this journalistic monolith delivered from upon high, becomes something unexpectedly intimate and accessible. Which starts to answer the question. Why are we living in this audio moment in America's newsrooms? And we really are. This is a moment for audio in the newsroom. Why is The Daily, the New York Times daily news podcast, the number one new podcast in the world? Why has it been downloaded 200 million times this year, its first year? Why are The Washington Post and The Wall Street Journal now investing in audio teams of their own? Why did Vox hire multiple producers and hire a host from public radio to launch its own daily news show next week? Why are all of these print news organizations rushing to get into audio? Because on-demand audio is transforming how news is delivered and how audiences are engaging with it. It's changing our relationship to the journalists, as we just heard in the case of Mike Schmidt, but it's also changing our relationship to the news itself. We've long known that podcasting is the intimate medium. 
the one that speaks directly to you, right into your ears. But applying that to the news, particularly in this year, a tumultuous news year, has been profound. It's engaged the news consumer in a deeper and more meaningful way than ever before, in a way that print sometimes just can't do. So take this example. This is a really good story from back in March about how coal miners were responding to President Trump's executive order rolling back some Obama-era environmental regulations. So if you look at this, buried in the 13th paragraph, we meet Mark Gray, who's a coal miner who voted for President Trump and who believes that President Obama is responsible for the decline and, and the potential death of his industry. In the paper, he's Mark Gray, 58 years old, of Harlan County, Kentucky. He's a couple paragraphs. Here he is in audio. Mark, I, I, I have to ask you about this. Has the coal industry had any kind of a negative impact on your life? On my life? Yeah. <laughs> my, my mom had eight kids. It fed eight kids. Raised eight kids coal did. My mom raised eight kids on the coal miners' pay. Mm. I raised four kids on the coal miners' pay. Okay? Mm-hmm. No, it ain't had no bad impact on my life. I, I, I mean the. I mean how tough the, it's. It's extremely tough work, and for some people, it has. It, it, it's, oh God, it's tough on yeah. the. It's tough on the bodies. It's tough on your body. It's, it's tough on. It's, it was tough on my body. I've got black lung right now. I've got third stage black lung. I have. But see again, that's the choice that we had to make. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I would if I had it to do over again. Guess what? I would make the same choice. So you may not agree with this man's politics, but I bet you can relate to him. After 20 minutes with Mark Gray, you've gotten to know a real person in a way that's almost impossible to pull off in print. And the next time you read a story about the coal industry, I bet you'll think about him. That's the power of audio, this human connection. And its twin power is engagement. So for weeks, economists and reporters, including reporters in the New York Times, had been warning about the dangers of President Trump attaching himself too closely to the stock market and the possibility of the Fed raising the interest rate. But how closely are most people reading the business section or market analysis? And how often does someone just walk you through what it actually means? On the morning of March 5th, the Times economic reporter Peter Goodman came on The Daily and said this. There's no question that since Donald Trump became president, the American stock markets have been seized by a kind of euphoria. Today again, the stock market has reached another record all-time high. It's at a new high right now. Gaining $8 trillion and more and continues to go up, up, up. We want to keep it going. The economy is so strong now and so good. The economy is doing really great. The economy is going really well and going to get even a lot better. But the stock market is not the real economy. Markets go down as well as up. When they go up, it feels pretty good, looks looks rosy, but they do go down. And I mean, most presidents are pretty careful that they not tie themselves too closely to that sort of volatility. So that was the episode of The Daily on the morning of Monday, February 5th. And a few hours later, after the episode went out, 
this happened. And a few minutes after that, this happened. <laughs> we got dozens of these messages. And did the daily crash the stock market? No, I don't think so. But people listen in a way they don't read. And on Monday morning, it really felt to listeners like Peter Goodman was sharing a secret straight into the ears of the million daily listeners to the daily. That feeling, that one-to-one -one intimacy, we've always known that to be the power of audio. And in this past year, we've seen how transformational it is to apply that to the news. And now, after years of waiting on Apple to open it up, we're starting to see the data to back up our intuitions. And what the data shows is that podcast listeners really are the super engaged, super devoted audiences that we thought they were. Podcast makers are finding that listeners are making it about 90% of the way through an episode which means they're listening to pretty much everything the host says. And they're not even skipping the ads, as advertisers have long feared. When it comes to, to how audio is changing people's relationship to the news, here's what we know about the daily. More than 4.5 million unique listeners tune in every month. Many of them are listening every day. About two-thirds of our listeners are under 40. A third are under 30. So it's safe to say that many of them are not time subscribers. And 30% are saying that they read the paper more frequently now than they did before listening to The Daily. Inside The Times, we're talking about The Daily as the new front page. The Daily in your feed is the equivalent of the, of the blue bag on your doorstep for years. But unlike the old front page, this one is meeting you wherever you are. It's with you while you're getting ready in the morning. It's while you're walking to the subway, while you're running, while you're driving in the car. So it's changing people's relationship not only to the news, but to how you engage with the news. It's changing people's actual daily routines. Um, and so I want to end by um, making this announcement. This is one of the reasons that we're so excited um, to say that the daily in the spring is coming to the radio. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is the daily. When you look at sexual harassment, allegations on this scale, I think you have to ask the complicity question. Complicity meaning, were others around him aware? Did they enable? Did they stay silent? Who protected the women and who protected Harvey? I really felt scared, like he was in this all-powerful position, and I was clearly never going to work again if I said anything. And he didn't actually touch me. So... I wasn't sure if people would would care. If I'm not just wrecked, then does it really matter? It sounds like you were having a debate with yourself over whether there was anything to be done about it and if there was anyone to, to tell about it. Absolutely. And, and what was the decision that you made? That there wasn't. I was just scared of him. I just was. I think that all these people must have been just as terrified this whole time. Right. The Daily from the New York Times, coming to a public radio station near you this spring. So starting in the spring, we're bringing The Daily to the radio. We're partnering with American Public Media to distribute the show, and we're hoping it will be carried on many of the 600-plus public radio stations across the country. We're just making this announcement today. And that's millions of new listeners, many of whom are not yet listening to podcasts, which is what's so exciting about this moment. 
We are unquestionably witnessing the birth of a new chapter in the news business, audio news, but it's just in its infancy, and there's huge room for growth. What the, what the Times has learned with The Daily is that already, and in just a year, it's a business that's transforming the relationship between the newsrooms and the audience and building this incredibly powerful new habit. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Replay. If you liked it, then make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Decode, Recode Media, and Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. For full coverage of the Code Media Conference, visit recode.net.